This is the Lilac Wine Podcast. If you have not listened to the previous chapters, please do so. We are releasing this novel in progress one chapter at a time, and I don't want you to miss anything. It was the summer of 1917. As America prepares to shed her blood on a distant shore, two lonely people are brought together by fate, torn apart by war, consecrated by wine. Lilac Wine. This is Lilac Wine, the podcast. Each episode features a chapter from the novel, a rough draft, if you will, read by the author Bruce Janning. New chapters will be written throughout the life of this podcast until the novel is complete. Join the discussion, make suggestions at lilacwinenovel.com. Stay tuned after the reading for further information about the chapter you just heard. And now, Lilac Wine. Chapter 4 Robert's favorite saloon was darker than usual. A large tarp covered one of the two main windows at the entrance, the victim of a rowdy anti-German crowd that moved through the streets of the Loop area the Saturday before. Although Conrad's did great business during lunch, many of those attending the Liberty March were outsiders who had never stepped foot into Conrad's, let alone met its namesake or sampled the delicious food. Ah, my young piano-making friend, the large barkeep stated with a heavy German accent as Robert walked into the mostly deserted tavern. Conrad Mueller was tall and stocky, but always had a wide grin that even his thick, graying mustache couldn't hide. He had a deep laugh and was very playful with his customers. His wife, Gertie, often helped him at the bar during the busiest times. In fact, it was her presence at the front of the tavern that brought many women inside during the lunch hours. Although Conrad's had a side ladies' entrance like most saloons, many women felt emboldened to simply use the front doors, like other customers, due to the fact that Gertie mingled with the male patrons at the front of the establishment. Working-class women from all over the Loop area descended upon Conrad's during lunch. Clerks, secretaries, garment workers, and telephone operators. Even though the Chicago Telephone Company's headquarters was several blocks to the north and west of Conrad's, most female telephone operators rode the elevated trains to the saloon during lunch due to the fact that it boasted one of the best free lunches in the city. For a five-cent bear, a patron could be treated to a fine hot meal, often a meaty stew with carrots and potatoes, plus a large, crusty roll. The women often sat at tables in the back room while the men stood at the bar and the free lunch counter. Consequently, Conrad's was loud and boisterous during these hours. Now, save for one person standing by the stove next to the free lunch counter sipping a beer, Conrad's was empty. The calm before the storm. Robert sat down on a stool at the bar. Unlike most saloons, Conrad insisted on stools for his patrons. 
The Irish may like to stand, he liked to state, but the proper way to enjoy a lager is on one's arsh. Without a word, Conrad set a glass of Robert's favorite brew on the bar in front of him, Idelweiss Lager from the local Schoenhofen Brewing Company. You're here awfully early, my friend, he said. All dressed up and nowhere to go, Robert replied. He then told Conrad of the closing of Bishop Pianos. Oh, that is a shame, Conrad stated. Pretty soon I may be looking for a different line of work too, my friend, especially if the dries get their way as I fear they will. Plus calls to close down German-owned breweries and saloons are getting louder by the day, he gestured to the front window. There were some particularly loud voices here the other night. Like many German-Americans living in Chicago, Conrad was very patriotic for the fatherland when the Great War began. Since the United States was not involved at the time, Conrad, like so many other Germans across the country, publicly voiced support for the Kaiser in Germany. That changed, however, with the sinking of the Lusitania two years ago. Conrad then removed the picture of the Kaiser from above the bar and added small American flags to the frame of the large mirror on the wall. The location of the Kaiser's portrait was still visible, the darkened rectangle a contrast to the more faded wallpaper on the rest of the wall. Although Conrad and Gerdy attended a mass meeting of German-Americans at the Coliseum to pledge their loyalty to the United States last year, things only got worse after the formal declaration of war requested by President Wilson in April. Germans were harassed and the German culture that helped build Chicago became shunned. The Chicago Symphony Orchestra was forced to stop playing music composed by Germans and there was talk that the conductor might step down due to social pressure on account of his German nationality. German street names were disappearing from the streets, and some prominent buildings were being renamed. The Kaiserhof Hotel became the Atlantic, and it was rumored that the famed Bismarck Hotel may make a similar name change. People were even insisting that sauerkraut be called Liberty Cabbage and some were now calling Frankfurters hot dogs instead. Gerdy thinks I should change the name of the place, Conrad stated shortly after the declaration of war. Conrad and Gerdy became naturalized citizens in the summer of 1914, a few weeks after the assassination of the Archduke of the Austrian Empire and his wife. Of late, Conrad could often be heard defending himself especially to late-night patrons who had overindulged and insulted the owner. I am an American, goddammit, he would declare in that thick accent of his, pointing a dirty finger at the Buy Liberty Bonds poster he had placed behind the bar before throwing the malcontent out into the street. Have you suffered business? Robert asked. The lunch crowd is good. Hungry patrons don't care about countries and nationalities. The night crowd has gone down somewhat, but we can get by just fine. I am more worried about the anti-saloon people than anything else, 
Another patron entered the saloon, and Conrad excused himself to fill the man's growler. Robert took another sip of beer. He had never been to Germany, had never left the country, for that matter. Maybe it was time to take a trip. Obviously, Europe was out of the question. Besides, being in a boat on the high seas was not the safest place to be at the moment. Robert looked at his surroundings. Nor, perhaps, in the establishment of a loud and proud German, either, he said to himself. What are you going to do, my friend? I don't know, Conrad. Well, I can find work for you here if you want. I can't pay as much as the piano factory, I'm sure, but I can get you something to hold you over. You would lose money with me. Every time you're not looking, I'll go right to that tapper over there. Conrad laughed. <laughs> Maybe you're right. I have one possibility, though, said Robert. I have a relative out in Iowa who needs some help for a few weeks, and I was offered a job. Don't know if I should go, though. Ah, you should go, said Conrad quickly. The fresh air will be good for you. Outside, folk, no? Farm, perhaps. That'll help put some muscle on those skinny arms of yours. You could use that. I think it's delivering mail or something like that. Still, you should do it. It'll be good to get out of the city. Maybe. Get out now while you can. I fear that things are going to get much worse around here before they get better. Besides, you might meet a nice country girl, no? And let me tell you this, my young, inexperienced, skinny-armed friend. Country girls are the best. Just look at my Gertie over there. Robert turned and saw Conrad's wife wiping tables in the back room and arranging chairs. She's a country girl, and I wouldn't change her for all the city girls in the world. Gertie glanced at the two men at the bar as if sensing their eyes upon her. What did you say? she called out. Conrad winked at Robert. Just telling our friend here a little something about country girls. Hello, Rob, Gertie said. Don't listen to what he tells you, so much full of stories and hot air. Robert set his mug on the bar top, reached into his pocket, and pulled out a nickel. If they don't have Edelweiss in Iowa, though, he said, setting the nickel down next to his empty mug, I'll be back hounding you for a job. Eh, maybe they have something better. Maybe, said Robert, as he turned towards the door. Maybe they do. After the two men said their goodbyes, Robert stepped out into the sunlight. Placing his hat upon his head, he turned and made his way to the nearest telegraph office. So that was chapter four of Lilac Wine. And first of all, I need to apologize, I think, for my German accent. My, uh, It's not even a German accent. I'm not quite sure what that was. It's an attempt. It's an attempt. I debated back and forth 
when I was getting ready to read that chapter, whether or not I should do a German accent. And uh, I just, I went with it. I just went with it. Um, And listening to it, you know, I don't know. You know, I want to uh, differentiate the voices more and, uh, you know, maybe I should just hire voice actors. I don't know. In the previous chapter, we met Robert Bishop and he and his uncle were sitting in the office at Bishop Pianos and, you know, Bishop Pianos is closing and um, Robert's uncle has a different opinion about the war than Robert does. And so Robert's uncle kind of dings him by saying that, uh, criticizes him really for liking to drink, quote, kraut beer with his kraut friends. And so I needed to put, I needed to put Robert in one of those, those bars. And that is Conrad's. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed writing this chapter because of the amount of research that had to uh, go into it. It's not just a bar. You know, it's a bar in 1917. You know, the United States is at war and uh, Germans basically built Chicago. You know, German street names and German stores and uh, so forth. So I had to kind of do a lot of research on not just what the taverns were like, but a little bit about German Americans as well. Uh, There's a mention in the chapter about, uh, you know, hotels changing their names uh, and also the conductor of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. His name was Frederick Stock. He became the conductor in 1905. He was conductor for 37 years of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and he is actually the one who first recorded the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and put out a record. That record came out in 1916. The first song that they recorded was Mendelssohn's Wedding March from A Midsummer Night's Dream. I've tried to find it uh, to play it, but I can't. Uh, I, 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 can't I can't find a recording of that. Usually you can find anything on the internet. Well, not that apparently. But uh, yeah, so that started the CSO in recording, and he was a German-American. Well, he was born in Germany. He wasn't even an American citizen at the time that the war broke out, so there was a lot of talk about him stepping down. There was, there was pressure. And, and a lot of people in Chicago were having difficulty uh, reconciling the war and Chicago's German heritage. And so he did. He he took a leave of absence uh, during the war. I think during that time too. I'll have to check on this. He became a naturalized citizen as well during that time. But he never officially left. He went on, you know, conducting uh, the orchestra and making more recordings like this one. This is to a water lily recorded in 1925. Saloons also have a particular culture about them in Chicago. Chicago was known for its neighborhood saloons, 
And uh, there were a lot of them. In 1900, there were 163 taverns, saloons in Chicago. How many there were in 1917, I am not quite sure. I'm sure there was a lot more. But get this, in 1900, out of the 163 saloons, 111 of them offered free lunches. And that actually, that was a thing. Free lunch counters was one way that taverns brought people in during lunch. Uh, they would get a free free lunch. There you go. A lot of workers, especially working class people, flocked to these taverns for the free lunches that they offered. And uh, some of the lunches were pretty elaborate, especially when they were competing, you know, to get these workers into these saloons. Women went to them. And so a lot of Chicago saloons had a separate entrance for women. It was seen as disrespectful for a woman to go through the front door. So a lot of saloons made a side entrance just for uh, just for women. German saloons were often uh, run by families, uh, husband and wife in particular. And uh, and so you know, I wanted Conrad's to be you know somewhat like that as well. And uh, there's not a whole lot of stools in saloons, except in German taverns, because uh, they were also for families, especially on Sunday nights. German families would go to the local German saloon and have dinner because uh, they often offered uh, German fare as well. So there in the saloon, Conrad's. Robert has a glass of his favorite beer, Edelweiss. Now, that was a big-selling beer in Chicago. It was brewed in Chicago by the Schoenhofen Brewing Company, the Peter Schoenhofen Brewing Company, uh, which was created in the 1860s. And um, Edelweiss was a big seller, except Prohibition will soon come, and uh, Edelweiss will not be brewed anymore. Instead, the Schoenhofen Brewing Company, in order to keep you know, the books open and you know, keep the brewery open during that time, created the Green River Soda. And so there's nothing left of this brewing operation in Chicago, and that's kind of a shame. But yeah, Green River, though, is still around. I think it was purchased by another you know, another uh, entity or so. Interesting fact about saloons and taverns is that at the bar, they used to have towels hanging on the bar and they were mustache towels. It's kind of gross, but because the mustaches were really big at the time, you know, guys would get foam in their mustaches and uh, they would use this communal towel <laughs> to, to wipe off their mustaches. Now, the public health department in Chicago caught on to this and said, you know, that's pretty disgusting and not very sanitary. So they started passing laws to regulate saloons. And one of the laws that the Chicago City Council passed was to ban mustache towels. How about that? 
Well, like I said, in Act 3, we'll be coming back to Conrad's, but it's going to be a whole lot different. Um, Chicago's going to change a lot in the coming months in 1917, all because of this war. So I hope you enjoyed that chapter. If you have any comments or suggestions, please head over to lilacwinenovel.com. I've got a message board there. Let me know what you think. And if you're enjoying this podcast, do me a favor and go to iTunes and um, write a quick review. You know, reviews are one way to increase listenership, to uh, become a new and notable, to get uh, the podcast up there on the front page. So if you could do that, I would be forever in your debt. Next week, we have a special double episode, chapters five and six. We are going back to Lily Springs, back to Abelia's garden. Uh, Something happens there. And uh, it's going to set the ball rolling for Robert to make his entrance into Lily Springs. But before that happens, he's going to enjoy one last movie before he leaves at a theater called The Gem Theater. That'll be coming up in two weeks. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and tell your friends about this podcast, especially those who like historical fiction. I'm sure enjoying reading this, and uh, hope you're enjoying listening to it as well. Until next week, I am Bruce Janu. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is produced by Bell Book and Camera Productions. Visit bellbookcamera.com for more information. Lilac Wine is written and produced by me, Bruce David Janu. All content is copyrighted and cannot be used without expressed written permission. If you are liking Lilac Wine, the podcast, please take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes. That will help us gain more listeners. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. The intro voiceover was provided by my colleague and friend, Rachel Vissing. We work together on another podcast at the school where we both work. That podcast is We Are EG and tells the stories of students and staff at Elk Grove High School, but demonstrates that no matter where you are, we all have something in common. Check that podcast out at weareg.org and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. All music and sound effects are licensed through audioblocks.com. Please visit Lilac Wine Novel to join the discussion. Ask me questions, make comments. The purpose of Lilac Wine, the podcast, is to discuss the creative process. Your comments and suggestions are greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening. <laughs>